Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 258 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Future Trends in Business. Where are we heading? One of the principal occupations of many consultants, speakers, and business experts is to try to predict the future. And although this is virtually impossible, it doesn't stop them from having a go. Now, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that I try to stay away from predictions for the most part. I'd rather deal with the leadership imperatives that drive performance and work out how to apply these timeless principles to whatever the given context is. This is a subtle but important distinction, and it's why I feel pretty confident about the guidance I give, how to apply the proven tools and strategies that I've learned in 30 plus years of leading at the highest levels. It's always fun and interesting, though, to look at emerging trends and to extrapolate those to see where they might be taking us. Today, I'm going to indulge in a little bit of that. The World Economic Forum published an article a little while back titled Five Key Trends Shaping the New World of Work. After chewing them over, I thought it'd be worth sharing them with you and giving some consideration to how likely it is that they'll dominate our thinking in the medium to long term. And even though the article didn't mention it in any detail, no predictions would be complete without delving into the murky world of artificial intelligence. I'll start by talking about why predictions about the future can be difficult to get right. I'll move on for a quick look at the future of AI. How worried should we be? And I'll finish with my spin on the predictions from the World Economic Forum article. So, let's get into it. Predictions for the future have always been problematic. When experts give their view about the future direction of their industry, we tend to listen and take note. They'd know, right? They're closest to the action. But often, it's this very proximity and expertise that makes the prediction unreliable. Maybe they're just too close to the action. They can't see the forest for the trees. We're going to talk about the fallacy of expert opinions later, so just let's park that one for a minute. It's always good fun, though, to look back at some of the more outlandish predictions that have been made over the years. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. 
but a few of these past predictions really give us a giggle. One of my favourite predictions comes in the quote from a Decca Records executive in 1962 after Decca decided not to sign the Beatles to their record label. He said, We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out. Another one of my favourites is the 1946 quote from Daryl Zanuck, the Hollywood movie producer, who said, Television won't last, because people are going to get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. Now, until COVID, the most fun predictions have come out of the computer industry. No one could have predicted how quickly things would change, apart from perhaps Gordon Moore. Now, in one of the rare accurate predictions, Moore said, the number of processors on a microchip would double every two years and the price of a computer would come down. That prediction was incredibly accurate, year in and year out for decades, and was only broken fairly recently. But of course, not everyone is quite so insightful. In 1943, Thomas Watson, the chairman of IBM, said, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. In 1967, a Wall Street Journal article predicted that, by the year 2000, there would be 200,000 computers in America. And as late as 1977, the founder of Digital Equipment Corporation said, there is absolutely no reason for any individual to have a computer in his home. All a bit of fun, right? But imagine if we'd listened to the predictions in 2020 and 2021 that told us the office is a thing of the past. An outdated construct that would never come back now that we've proven we can work just as effectively from home. Now that the initial hype has passed, companies are much more circumspect about hybrid work. Some off-site work is useful and beneficial for everyone, but there's a need for people to be in the office for all sorts of good reasons. I mentioned some of these in a previous episode so feel free to hold my predictive feet to the flames by listening to it. It's episode 218, Is Working From Home Working? What I pointed out then, it's almost a year ago, is that you can't optimise collaboration, build networks, solve problems, manage talent, and align the culture from your kitchen bench. And I don't know about you, but I have more than enough evidence now to say, without fear of contradiction, that video conferencing is a very poor substitute for a face-to-face conversation. So no, the office won't disappear. It's very much alive and well, if not slightly altered in our perception of the role it plays. Just in the last six months or so, AI has taken centre stage as the most likely disruptor of everything we know and everything we believe. There's no doubt that it's going to have major implications for society at large, beginning with the widespread replacement of many jobs. Not within a 10 to 20 year time frame, but within the next two to three years. To the extent you can believe the predictions, it's pretty scary stuff. I've been doing some light research lately, just around the edges of the issue, but I think there's reason for us to take pause, rather than launching headlong into the exponential evolution of AI engines. If you want the cliff notes, have a listen to an interview from Stephen Bartlett's Diary of a CEO podcast. He interviewed Mo Gordat, the former chief business officer of Google X. We'll leave a link for you in the show notes. Gordat is pretty certain that the AI disruption is going to hit us like a freight train sometime within the next two to five years. Bear in mind, though, he is actually an expert in AI. A recent article in The Economist asked the question, what are the chances of an AI apocalypse? And this gave a brighter prognosis for the coming wave of disruption. The article looks at the difference between predictions that are made by experts in a particular field as opposed to what they call 
super forecasters. The Economist compared the predictions of subject matter experts in nuclear war, bioweapons, AI, and extinction itself. And they compared those against the predictions of super forecasters, who are general purpose prognosticators with a record for making accurate predictions on all sorts of topics, from election results to the outbreak of wars. Super forecasters have typically been a lot more accurate with their predictions when compared to domain experts. Now, it's good to know this when it comes to AI, because the super forecasters aren't anywhere near as concerned as the experts. The experts, and this of course would include Mo Gordat, predict that by the end of the century, there is a 12% chance of an AI-caused catastrophe and a 3% chance of an AI-caused extinction event. Now that is a huge number, and I'm kind of glad I won't be around to see that one play out. But the more accurate super forecasters are nowhere near as concerned. Their view is that there's only around a 2% chance of an AI-caused catastrophe and a 0.4% chance of an AI-caused extinction event by the end of the century. You know, still a big number, but it makes me feel a whole lot better. In fact, the super forecasters believe that there's a much higher probability of a nuclear catastrophe than an AI-driven catastrophe, to the extent that that provides any comfort. AI is definitely coming, and we have no real concept of how it's going to disrupt business. But we can't really do anything else at this stage than watch and wait. The Five Future Trends article that I want to look at only gives a passing mention to AI. Why? Because it was published in September last year. Now, that's not even a year ago, but it was about two months before ChatGPT was first released. Isn't it incredible how quickly things can change in the world of technological innovation? The first trend is restructuring companies for efficiency. And this is driven by two major factors. One is the supply chain and market disruption that we experienced during and after the COVID pandemic. And the other is the continuing decline of productivity that we're witnessing in most economies at present. I'm not going to go into the productivity decline, as I mentioned this just a few weeks ago in episode 255, Building a Better Mousetrap. I think this trend is real, and it's something that's going to face many of us. When you think about how to improve efficiency, there are going to be some structural considerations. For example, should I merge with another company? Should I divest an unprofitable business unit? And so on. And there will be some value chain considerations. What do I need to do in-house, as opposed to having a specialist supplier in the mix? There will no doubt be some personal considerations. Do the people I currently have working for me have the ability to lead the business forward in this new, more complex paradigm? No matter where you are, I suspect that one of these factors at least is going to touch you, and you'll need to make some relatively big decisions in the coming one to three years. So obviously these questions need to be considered at both the strategic and tactical levels. The second trend is a shift to skills-based hiring. This is an emerging trend to hire less graduates and more people who have demonstrated skills. It emphasises track record over potential. The implication, of course, being that pathways to employment are trending more towards experience. Very few business leaders believe that university graduates are actually coming out with job-ready skills. Uh, tell me when to look shocked. This has always been the case. As much as we'd like to think that higher education institutions adapt and turn out job-ready graduates, I don't think it's in their nature. And I'm not sure that that should change. Universities have always been tasked with providing the theoretical foundation 
for a career in your chosen discipline. They're perhaps less about telling you what to think about and more about how to think. I guess there's certainly an observable shift to vocational learning. In the US, there's a huge push from the current government to forgive student loans, and it will be providing funding for other pathways to education and qualification in any given field. But in my view, the extent to which this can actually alter the way the markets move and employers think is going to be extremely limited. It's more likely that the skills won't be determined by supply-side remedies. They'll be determined on the demand side. So how this pans out with the spectre of AI and other disruptions is anybody's guess. As a result, I'm not calling skills-based hiring a big future trend. The third cited trend is the mobility of talent. This seems to be more about access to talent than talent actually moving freely around the globe. The trend of being able to work for companies in places other than their head office is an obvious outcome of the pandemic. As the author points out, quite rightly, the physical movement of labour will be constrained by higher trade tariffs and tighter border controls. The weakening embrace of globalisation, which had started well before COVID hit, is going to offset this trend. Globalisation relies on the seamless flow across borders of four critical elements. Capital, trade, labour and intellectual property. When we think about this, very few people were ever really mobile. I want to let you in on a little gem from one of my great mentors, Ray Weeks. He once remarked that there are two types of people, somewheres and anywheres. Somewheres aren't mobile. They grow up, live and work within close proximity to where they were born. They rely on their extended families and communities and the jobs that exist in and around that community. Anywheres, on the other hand, are people who are infinitely mobile. They have the education, the means and the confidence to go anywhere and to make that work. I don't really think there's a trend that we're all of a sudden going to see a swing in the number of people who are anywheres. Despite the increased opportunity to work remotely, it's going to mostly apply to people who were already anywheres. Combine that with the demand-side requirements of a rapidly evolving workforce, and I don't think the mobility of talent will be materially greater than it's always been. Trend number four is the rise of work and the decline of employment. I think this one is a really huge shift. When I think about my parents' generation, they basically got a job when they left school or university and worked there for the rest of their lives. If they made, I don't know, one or maybe two job changes, it would have been a really big deal. And it was the exception more than the rule. But even in my career, I worked for eight different companies. And I didn't bounce around that much. My average tenure was just under five years. Now, we can expect that people coming into the workforce will have at least 15 different jobs during their careers. Combine that with the gig economy and the push of many governments to make employment law so unworkable for companies that do hire permanent staff, and we'll definitely see an increasing trend towards hiring the skills you need when you need them. This is a further move away from everything being done in-house. And it's a really important trend to watch because there's a range of very important considerations that should be made in any decision to outsource or insource various functions. For more on this, I've got some great episodes for you. Episode 95, The Joys of Outsourcing, and Episode 221, Managing Supplier Relationships. Deciding where to do things and how to find efficiencies without losing your focus on capability building and talent management is definitely going to be one of the big challenges for leaders in the coming years. 
The final trend mentioned in the article is the central importance of digital skills. Okay, this one's a no-brainer. I consider myself to be pretty literate in all things technology, but I'm still way out of my depth on a lot of things. When I look at the expertise that M and Tash and our team in Sydney have, and they're not technology specialists, I realise how far I am behind the game. The generations coming through will no doubt have higher order technology skills built in. But with the pace of technological change and adoption, we're definitely going to see cracks appearing. The interesting thing is that with an ageing population, it's going to be a decade or two before these technologically gifted people are calling the shots. The general trend over history has been for technology to improve at a greater rate than humans can sensibly adopt it. And I'm not sure what you think, but to me, technology is improving way faster than it used to. It's getting that exponential growth. So I sense our ability to methodically realise that potential is getting harder, not easier. Who knows where this one's going? We know that the rate of technology advancement, not least of which is AI, will radically change the way our workforce is composed and therefore how we lead. But how's this ultimately going to play out? It's really anybody's guess. OK, look, that's a pretty good fly over the top of the trends that will shape our environment in coming years. We've looked at the likely impact of return to office and remote work. I touched on the AI disruption that's right on the horizon. And I looked at the business trends that have been identified as key considerations in the future world of work. But let's remember one thing. Leadership is leadership. No matter what the future holds, having the capability and confidence to lead your people strongly is going to be the foundation of your success. Your personal leadership capabilities, handling conflict, being resilient, mastering ambiguity and working at the right level are prerequisites for dealing with whatever the future throws at us. So focus on the basics. Build your skills and knowledge. And if you only get good at one thing, get good at adapting. No matter what we think the future holds as we sit here today, the only thing we know for certain is that it's going to be different to that. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 258. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review or a rating. I look forward to next week's episode, Autonomy versus Control. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. <laughs>